Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Genesis chapter 18, we have the historical record of the living God meeting personally with Abraham. What we have here is we have an explicit description that the living God himself met with Abraham. It's a little bit difficult to see this in the English translations that we have at our disposal, but in the Hebrew, in the language that Genesis chapter 18 was written in, it's very clear that the Lord himself was manifested in the flesh. He visited earth. Apparently, he had two other angels with him, and he stopped by and visited with Abraham on his way to Sodom to investigate, to personally investigate the outcry that he was receiving from the city. Now, when Abraham saw the Lord, he knew that it was the Lord. He went and he asked the Lord to stay with him for a little while. And then Abraham ran back to the tent and asked Sarah to make some bread. He ran off to the herd and selected a calf and asked one of the servants to slaughter the calf and prepare the calf for a meal. And then he sat down and he talked with the living God and ate with the living God. Now, our God manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us as Jesus. And many people have a hard time embracing the idea that our God would actually reduce himself. He would restrict himself. He would come down to earth and personally take the appearance of a man. He would live and dwell among us. They have a hard time understanding that. They have a hard time appreciating that because they do not want to believe. There are many people who just simply do not want to believe that our God would do that, that he would reduce himself in such a way that he would walk among us as an individual. But I want you to know that this gives a very good indication to us, a very good indication that our God wants to have a personal experience with us. He personally wants to have a relationship with us to the extent where we can see him eye to eye, where we can speak to each other, where we can touch each other, where we can sit down and have a meal together and relax with each other and have conversation with each other. In order to accomplish that, of course, he who dwells in unapproachable light in the kingdom of heaven has to remove himself from the kingdom of heaven, has to remove himself from unapproachable light so that he can approach us and we can approach him. It's necessary for him to reduce himself in some capacity. And so I believe that the Lord did this, and Genesis chapter 18 is a very good example of our God doing such a thing. Now, one of the indicators that the Lord does this in a very subtle way, one of the very important indicators that we have here is that Sarah, Abraham's wife, apparently did not really believe that that was God manifested in the flesh. We have an indicator here, and this is presented to us because the Lord told Abraham that Sarah would have a child. Sarah, of course, overheard him, and when she overheard him, she just laughed at him. Now, if she knew that this was the living God, if she knew that this was the one who created all things, 
Do you suppose she would have responded that way? I mean, do you really suppose that she would laugh at him? Do you suppose she would really do that? I don't think so. I personally believe that he reduced himself, that he presented himself in such a way that Sarah could not easily identify him as being the divine, a divine presence in her midst. Now, there is an indicator that she started to think about it a little bit more seriously, because in verse 13 it says, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid, and he said, no, but you did laugh. So she did reconsider, I believe, reconsider a little bit about what she was thinking when she realized that she was exposed. When he exposed Sarah by saying, listen, I know she was laughing, and she overheard that as well, then she became afraid. Now that fear does not necessarily mean that she conceded that he was a living God, It just says that she was afraid, and in response to that, she said, I didn't laugh. Now, again, if she knew that this was the living God of the universe, if she really believed that, it's unlikely that she would have followed up her response by saying, no, I didn't, because she would know that he would know that she was lying. And so, again, I think that there is another indicator here that suggests that she did not really know him for who he was, that she didn't really realize who was there in her midst. But to me, what's very interesting is that the Lord did not just call down lightning bolts from heaven and take her out. Instead, he just simply says in verse 15, no, but you did laugh. To me, that's such a wonderful statement. It's a wonderful response that really shows me a lot about the character of God that he would say such a thing in such a kind and gentle and patient way. But what I would really like to talk about in this program is not Sarah's response. What I would really like to get into is the negotiations that took place after dinner. Now, I want you to consider the situation here. The Lord is there to do an investigation. He's there to do an investigation. Beginning in verse 20, This is Genesis chapter 18, verse 20. It says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then he goes on with his negotiations, which I'll come back to in just a moment. Now consider the situation here. The Lord has heard about the sin. He is going to investigate. Now this tells me a number of things. First of all, he has decided to go and look into the situation, which means that he has heard about it, and now he's going to look into it, and then there is going to be a judgment. There are transitions that take place. There is time involved. Time is involved in this scenario, in this situation. And the Lord is taking action through the course of time. Now, he doesn't need to do this. I'm sure he can do this in other ways. He can find out things instantaneously. He doesn't necessarily have to involve himself 
in the scope of time, but he does. And I want you to understand this, and that is that God does live in the context of time. There is a beginning, there is an end. There is a time when he heard the outcry, there is a time when he investigates, and there will be another time when he passes judgment. And please understand that he is doing this on his own. He took a couple of angels with him to do the investigation, but he is definitely the one who is doing this without any outside interference, and he is doing it through the course of time. Sin was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. People prayed to the Lord, asking him for divine intervention, and there was time involved in his response. He did not respond instantaneously outside of the scope of time, but he has decided to do this in a way that he is participating in the world that he has created. He is participating in the lives of individuals. He has heard the cry from the people. He is responding to the outcry of the people. He is participating in the lives of the people. He is going to go and investigate. By doing an investigation, he is again participating in the lives of the people. While the people are living, he also is living. While the people are busy doing their things, he is busy doing his things. He talks with them. They talk with him. There is active participation that is taking place with our God and us. And I really want you to see that. And this is within the boundaries, within the scope of time, within the constraints of time. Now, I want you to notice also that Abraham talks with the Lord about his decision. He talks with the Lord about the fact that he is about to destroy these communities, even though there are righteous people in these communities. Now, there are a number of other things that he could have said or that he could have asked. For example, why didn't he say something like this to the Lord? Why didn't he say, Lord, are you not God? Are you not the one who knows all things? If you are a God, then I would expect that you would know a lot more than you are telling me right now. I would expect that there would be no need for an investigation. Now, of course, I don't believe that it would be necessary for him to do it this way. I believe he could have figured these things out on his own in other ways. But this is the way that he decided to do it. And because of this way, because of this, Abraham could have easily said to the Lord, Lord, if you really are a God, you should know all things. There should be no need for an investigation. There should be no need for that. Why do you need to send two angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah to investigate the matter? Can you not see all things? Why are you sending these angels down there to investigate? Now think about that for just a moment. Is our God a God who needs to send angels to earth to go and find out what things are like? To go and find out what's going on in different places? Is that what he really needs to do? I don't think that that's what he needs to do, but the fact that that is the way that he did it tells me many things about how my God interacts with the people that he has created in the world that he has created. It tells me that there are certainly times when he looks upon things with his own eyes, 
when he looks into communities with his own eyes and he hears things with his own ears. But there are times when he does not look. There are times when he knows what is going on, but there are times when he has chosen not to know what's going on. So what does this tell me about what the Lord knows? This tells me that he knows everything that he wants to know and that there are some things that he doesn't necessarily want to know. Now, should I look at my God and say that that's inappropriate? Should I say that that is unacceptable? Could not Abraham have responded that way? Couldn't he have said, Lord, this is unacceptable? You have to know these things. You should not be sending angels to check these things out. You should know about this stuff. He could have said that, but he didn't say that. Now, I know a lot of people today who would say that. I know many people, a lot of people, major theologians in the Christian world who would say something like that. They would say, this is totally unacceptable. The Lord should have known. He should have known without having to do any investigation. He needs to look at all things. He needs to know what's going on at all times, in all places. He needs to know that. Because if he doesn't know that, then he's not God. Now, what they mean by that is two things. The first thing is that they believe that if you are a God, you should be able to do that, and you should do that. And if you don't, then you're not fulfilling the proper model. You're not fulfilling the proper image of what we think a God should be like. But here's the other problem, and the other problem is even more important, and that is how can you trust a God who doesn't know everything? How can you trust a God like that? How can you trust a God who has to depend on angels to go do an investigation like this? I mean, sin is a very serious matter. When other people's lives are being affected, it's a very serious matter. Consider what happens when the angels go into town. Most of the people in the town decide to go and try to have relations with these angels, thinking that they are men, of course, but they try to violate these men who are actually angels in disguise. That's what's going on there. Shouldn't the Lord know about these things? Shouldn't he be looking at these things? Shouldn't he be watching these things? How can you trust a God who does not know about all of these things that are taking place? How can you trust a God who does not intervene at the appropriate time, in the appropriate way that we believe that he should be intervening. How can you trust a God like that? That's the point, is that people have a hard time trusting the Lord. And circumstances like this don't necessarily make it any easier for people to trust the Lord. Because again, sin is a very serious matter. People being violated is a very serious matter. And there are many people who believe that if anything happens, if anything takes place at any time, for any reason, then the Lord has to give his blessing. He has to be the one who is in control. He is the one who has to make sure that everything is orchestrated in the way that he wants it to be. But no, no, I'm telling you that the Lord has provided boundaries. He has provided boundaries and he has given people the freedom to decide what they are going to do on their own, and he does not always look to see what is taking place. Now again, I am personally not afraid that the Lord does not know some things, things that he chooses not to know. That does not frighten me. That doesn't scare me. 
or to think that he does not look in certain places, places where I might end up going. I am not afraid of that. I am not afraid because I trust that what he needs to know, he will know. I trust that. I can believe in that. And because of that, I can believe that it is acceptable. I can believe that. And I can believe that he is still God, even though these are situations, these are circumstances that he will allow. Now, having said all of that, of course he has divine control. Of course he has total sovereignty over the situation, over these cities. This is the God who rained brimstone on these people, which was a sulfur compound that rained down from heaven and set the whole place on fire. This is a God who destroyed these cities. And so if this is a God who destroyed these cities, isn't that evidence to show that he really does have control, that he really does oversee these things, that he really does have an interest in what's going on? It's not as if he's just allowing certain zones, certain cities, certain communities to just engage in as much sin as they would like and he will not intervene at all. I don't see any evidence for that. I believe that he does have boundaries. He does have restrictions. He does assert his authority when it is time to do so. And I will trust that he will make good decisions concerning these times. So Abraham could simply have asked him, Who do you think you are, God? Are you not God? You should know these things. Why do you not know these things? And if you did know these things, then what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for concerning judgment? He could have asked him that. Why do you need to delay? Why don't you just send some angels down there to get people out right now and do no investigation whatsoever? You should know how many righteous people are down there. I shouldn't have to question you concerning these numbers because he questions him about these numbers and says, well, listen, if we can find 50, if we can find 45, if we can find 30, 20, how about 10? If we can find at least 10 righteous people, he didn't have to have a conversation like that. He could just simply ask the Lord, Lord, are you not God? Should you not already know these things? And if you're going to make a decisive decision, let's just do it. Let's just do it. What's the difference between doing it now and doing it a week later? I mean, is there really going to be much of a difference? Let's just do it. Let's just get it over with. He could have responded to him that way, but he did not. He related to our God, and our God related to him. This is a very important thing to understand, that we have a God who is relational. We have a relational God who has relationships with people. We have a God who is participating in the lives of people. That's what we have. Now, for Abraham to ask God if he would reconsider the destruction of the communities, if he would consider letting the communities survive, if he can find 50 people, 45 people. This tells me that our God has not yet made a formal decision on this matter. He has not made a decision. He has not passed judgment. Abraham negotiates with him, in the context that the Lord has not yet decided. Now, this tells me something about my God, and that is that he does not always decide everything in advance, that not every decision has been made, 
that he is making decisions and that these decisions are influenced by decisions that we make here on earth. That many of his decisions are affected by our decisions. It doesn't have to be that way, of course, but that is the way that he is relating to us. Abraham could simply have asked him, why haven't you made a decision? Aren't you God? Can you just make a decision? Why do you have to wait? Why do you have to do an investigation? Why do you have to find out? Why do we have to talk about this at all? Why is it? The reason why is because Abraham knew that our God is relational. Abraham knew that our God is participating in the world that he made. He knew that. He believed that. And so that is why he spoke with the Lord in the way that he did. What would you have done if you were Abraham? What would you, I mean, seriously, think about it. What would you have done if the Lord came to you? What would you do today? What would you do today if the Lord came to your home today? If he came up to your house He knocked on your door and said, hey, listen, I just wanted to let you know that I was in town. I thought I'd stop by and visit with you for a little bit. What would you do? What would you think? Would you at least consider inviting him in and making him something for dinner? It doesn't have to be something elaborate, you know, a bowl of spaghetti or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and sit down and talk with God. What would you do if you were in that circumstance, if you were in the circumstance that was described here in Genesis chapter 18? Would you have asked him, Lord, what brings you to town? What brings you here? What are you doing? And he would say, you know, I heard about this neighborhood near here, and so I thought I'd stop by here first and just visit with you a little bit while I was here in the local area before I go over there to check things out, because I heard that things are really bad over there. And so I'm going to go take a look and see what's going on for myself. And sure enough, if it is as bad as they say it is, I'm going to go ahead and just destroy the entire neighborhood. Now, wouldn't you reach out to him And ask him, Lord, isn't there anything that we can do? Is there something that we can do in order to have mercy on these people? Or would you say something like, yeah, Lord, I've heard about these people. Let's just go in there and nuke the whole place. Let's just destroy the whole place. Level it all. Let's just do it. Get it done. What are we waiting for? Why don't we do it right now and then have dessert afterwards? You know, something like that. Regardless of what your response might be, I want you to see that this is the way that God spoke with Abraham. This is the way that he has always spoken with people. This is the way that he has always related to people. And this is the way that he is still relating to people right now. Not necessarily showing up in the flesh. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about him within us, him relating to us, him living his life with us. Even though we can't physically see him unless he decides to manifest himself in that way, even though he doesn't do it in the same way in the context of a manifestation, he still relates to us in the same context. This is how he relates to his people He doesn't relate to all of his people this way, not at all times. And this certainly does not mean that some people are greater than others because he does with some and he doesn't with others. Don't try to measure things in that way. What I want you to see is that this is an example to show you that our God wants to participate in our lives, that he wants to relate to us in our lives, and he is willing to have conversations with us. And he has not made 
all decisions. I know he has made a lot of decisions, but not all decisions. And so are all things predestined? Are all things predetermined? No. Some things are, but not all things. Was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah predetermined? No. It wasn't predetermined. If it was, what was he doing there? Why was he investigating? If it was predetermined, why didn't he just get to it and get it over with? Why go through all of this? It doesn't make any sense at all. It was not predetermined. There are many things that he has predestined, but not all things have been predestined. He has allowed for some variation, some flexibility. He has allowed for that so that we as his creation can also participate in the world that he has made so that we also can make decisions and live a life here as he does. And through that, we have an opportunity to have a much more real relationship with our God. That's what I want you to see here in Genesis chapter 18 right now is just this, is just to understand that you have a God who is trustworthy, that he can be trusted even though he has not yet made all of his decisions. He has certainly made many decisions, but not all of them. Even in the midst of that, he can still be trusted. He does not see all things. He does not know all things. But even though he does not see all things and he does not know all things, he sees those things that he wants to see and he knows those things that he wants to know. And if he does not know something, but he discovers that he needs to know what is going on there, he will find out. He can be trusted. He is a trustworthy God. And I believe that if we will truly look to him in that context and say that he will make the right judgment concerning these things, that he does not always have to look upon sin, that he does not always have to be aware of every evil that is taking place and watch it happen personally, that he can discriminate when it comes to these matters and he will be just when the appropriate time comes and we can trust him to be the one to be the best person to make a decision concerning when things take place or they do not take place. This is the message of a God who is a participant in the lives of people and a God who has a relationship with the people who he has created. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net